Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to welcome everyone to a 50-year flashback of wrestling at MSG Madison Square Garden, the mecca of professional wrestling, a building that every wrestler wanted to wrestle in. Today, we're doing a deep dive starting with August 30th, 1971. You may be wondering, why start with August 30th, 1971? Well, this was the first show John, Mr. Wrestling Arizzi, attended. This show started an amazing seven-year streak where John didn't miss one show at the Garden. And we will be recording one show a month to coincide with the 50-year anniversary. John has a long history with Madison Square Garden, starting off as a fan, to a photographer, to the Fred Blassie fan club president, and then going on to host his own wrestling radio talk show, and then hosting the first major wrestling autograph convention, which included some of the WWWF's former great champions like Buddy Rogers, Bruno Sammartino, and superstar Billy Graham, just to name a few. Now he's podcasting, and the author of the book, Matt Memories, let's welcome John Rizzi. John, how you doing? I'm doing fabulous, Timmy. What do you want to be called, Tim? What do you want to be called? Tim. Whatever you want. <laughs> Tim, Tim is good. Timmy sounds like I'm talking to my grandmother. I love Timmy, though. Okay, you can call me Timmy. Nah, it's okay, Tim. <laughs> so let, let's let's start out. Let's start out with now, the, your first show was August thirtieth, nineteen seventy one, Madison Square Garden. How old were you at the time? Uh, at that time, I was fourteen years old. I just found out that there was an age limit restriction at the Garden back in the day. Oh yeah, uh, you had to be fourteen or older to uh, attend a show in New York. It was a New York state law. Ironically, in nineteen sixty seven, when I was ten years old, I convinced my father. I pestered him for many months. Please take me to wrestling. Please take me to wrestling. And he agreed in uh, 1967. So he took one of his uh, best friends uh, and, and I, one of my best friends. And he said, yeah, let's go to wrestling. We trek into the city. We buy our tickets at the ticket window. It wasn't a sold out show close to it. And uh, it was Bruno San Martino against Gorilla Monsoon. It was a really, it was a, a show I wanted to see and I was excited about it. And uh, we get to the uh, entrance uh, with the tickets and we were stopped. We couldn't get in because I was under 14. So it was a devastating thing. I had no idea. And at the age of 10 years old, I was just, I was just devastated. And my father and his friend were like, well, what a waste this was, you know, going into the city for nothing. And that was a heartbreaking thing to not be able to attend the show. Uh, so when I was 14 years old, yeah, I mean, then, then it was, um, I was allowed in. And, and how did you get tickets back then? How, how were they going about getting tickets? Really interesting. I had kind of 
lost interest a little bit in wrestling. Uh, and then in uh, January of uh, 71, January 18th, Bruno San Martino lost the title to Ivan Koloff at Madison Square Garden. There was huge coverage about that. And then Pedro Morales wins the next uh, match in February of 71. But I wasn't really following it. I mean, I was just kind of not into uh, it as I was as a, as, a, as a younger kid. It really happened in the summer of 71. I was at a sleepover. Uh, it was a bunch of us friends from uh, school at the time, and uh, we did a little camp out in the backyard at somebody's house and pitched some tents, and there was about six of us. And there was a kid in the tent um, named Frank Favalli from West Babylon, where I grew up, and everyone's talking about sports and girls, and then wrestling comes up, and this kid, Frank, is like, yeah, I love wrestling. I go with my father. And I was like, you go to you go to the matches and all of a sudden we just clicked. And it was so cool that, you know, I found somebody because I never found anybody that was a peer of mine that was really into wrestling. So uh, we just hit it off and uh, we talked about collecting the magazines. And he says he's been going for the last few months with his father to the garden and the next show was august 30th and if i wanted to you know he talked to his father and see if i could come with them and i was like yeah i'd be totally into doing that and before you know it you know his father gets tickets and uh i'm going to the very first wrestling show ever at the garden that really sparked my reinterest as a 14 year old back into the the wrestling scene so this is august 30th 1971 it's a Monday night. Do they have a lot of shows not on the weekends back then? Uh, most of the shows are on Mondays. For whatever reason, that's when they got the garden. And they would promote occasionally on a Saturday, but I believe it was when the circus was in town. And uh, so there was a reason for them to go to Saturdays on those rare occasions. But the vast majority of the shows, 90% of the shows were on Monday nights. And when we talk about the tickets, how far ahead were you able to get tickets for these shows? Now, this first show, you're going with your friend and his dad. Mm -hmm. I think he got him a Ticketmaster, and that was the end of it. I mean, he just bought the tickets on Ticketmaster, from what I remember. And, um, you know, we ventured into the city for the show. Do you remember, even later on, just even going past this date, do you remember when they would offer those tickets up? Would it be like the day after or that night of at the Garden? Traditionally, as I learned, tickets would go on sale. Uh, the night of the show. Let's say you're at a show and uh, they would read the lineup card for the next show at the Garden and they say, and tickets will be going on sale immediately. And then people would rush out and wait online and get their tickets for the next show. And they would miss, you know, 25% of the show that they already paid to come in and see. It, which is so funny to me. Maybe you don't remember this from this time, but uh, what was TV like back then? Like, were you was the TV leading up to the Garden Show, or was it behind? Well, there was TV. It was on Channel Forty Seven uh, in uh, New Jersey. It was a Hispanic station, uh, but they also would run uh, wrestling. And I wasn't watching it as regularly as I did in the past. And of course, as soon as I went to my first match, I'd watch it every week. But I did start watching it leading up to the night of August 30th just to kind of see what was going on and who would be wrestling against who. So this is your first time at the Garden in a long time. You know, you're 14 years old. Tell me about getting into the city, seeing the Garden from the outside, and then going in. Because if people don't know, this is not the first Garden. This is actually, uh, I think it's the fourth Garden. This is the, what they call the New Garden, uh, which opened up, uh, I believe, the New Garden opened up 
uh, in the late 60s. I had never been to Madison Square Garden before for anything. I was at the old Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, not just the time that we were turned away in 1967, but uh, when I was much younger, like five years old or so at the old garden, there was a um, uh, there was a TV show back on Channel 7, uh, WABC, and there was a clown that had, it was called Tommy 7, and he did a big, like, uh, a show at Madison Square Garden. My mother and my aunt took me and my oldest sister and uh, it was just kind of like a circus in a way. But that, that was my only experience ever at uh, actually attending something uh, at a Madison Square Garden before this wrestling match in 71. You're walking in 1971. What do you remember about that day, about coming in? Do you take the train in? Because a lot of people, if you don't know, Manhattan is an island. Uh, Madison Square Garden is above Penn Station. And you can that's why they put it there, because you, you can get there from New Jersey, from New York, anywhere almost in the country goes to Penn Station. So how did you get in there? And what what were your thoughts going to his first wrestling match? Well, it was uh, my friend Frank Favalli and his dad, and we took the train in from Babylon, uh, so it goes right into Penn Station. I was very excited since the age of seven years old. Uh, half of my life at that time, I loved uh, wrestling, uh, and uh, just to be able to go to a show was just the butterflies were there. And I never forget going into the arena, and we had loge seats, which were Section 100s, which were really right adjacent to the ring too. So those seats were really good. And just getting into the building and sitting down and before the show and seeing the ring, and I was just mesmerized by it. And the crowd filing in, and I was looking at the makeup of the crowd, uh, which was a very highly concentrated uh, Puerto Rican crowd because of Pedro Morales, who was the champion, and he was from Puerto Rico. So I saw a very diverse audience filing in and everyone was excited and you know you hear people whistling in all different sections and you know as the as the showtime was always at 8 30 p.m too it started at 8 30 so just leading up like eight o'clock and the excitement was building and building and building and it was just kind of like i couldn't wait for the show to begin okay Let's get into the show. August 30th, 1971, 16,720 tickets sold. At that time, they weren't considered a sellout. A sellout considered over 22,000. So not a big crowd, but a decent crowd for the Garden on a Monday night. Yeah, I guess it was about 60 to 70% full, and I didn't even notice. I didn't know, you know, uh, if these shows had sold out or not. All I know is that it was, it was exciting to be there. And when you hear that bell ring and the lights, you know, the lights go down and the ring lights are on. And and you hear the bell ring and then it's like, we're ready to go. And here, here we are, you know, finally, after all these years throughout my life, I'm, I'm getting to see a wrestling match. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
Five. And here we go. First match, first match you've ever seen was a midget match. Joey Russell defeated Frenchie Lamont in four minutes, 16 seconds. What do you remember about watching the midgets? Or what well, they like to be called little people now, but what do they remember yeah. watching about the little people back in the day of the garden? Back then they were midget wrestlers. I mean, and, and the ironic thing is that the very first time I saw wrestling on television, it was in 1964. And my oldest sister, Linda, who's no longer with us, I mean, calls me into the living room and she's like johnny come in here there's these i don't know what this is there you know as i go into the living room and and there was a midget wrestling match they were chasing each other around the ring and i was just kind of mesmerized and i was like what is this and 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 that was it i mean i was just like i was hooked and ironically the first wrestling match i see live is a midgets match perfect timing it like brings you right back into where you were watching at home and it's it, it dude did, did they used to have a lot of those kind of matches either midget matches or women matches back then at the garden oh no women because the women wrestling was outlawed at madison square garden there was a law against uh, women competing until they eventually brought it in uh somewhere in the middle of uh, 1972 where they uh, appealed to the state athletic commission and then the ruling was changed. But uh, the midgets uh, were, were pretty regularly booked on these shows at the time. They were an attraction. They were an opening attraction. They were more of a comedy uh, match uh, to get the crowd warmed up and to get them into it. Uh, so it was pure, uh, purely for the entertainment and purely for comedy that the midgets were uh, booked on these shows. And it's the first match, so you're giving time people to get their seats, nothing important. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Second match, Jimmy Valiant defeated Mike Pappas in five minutes, 29 seconds. Yeah, Mike Pappas uh, and Jimmy Valiant, I'd seen Jimmy on television, and I was immediately taken by him because he had this great charisma. He was this blonde-built guy, and uh, and he uh, was originally a good guy, and then he changed over to being a heel. In this match, he played the heel. And Mike Pappas was a little guy. I think he was uh, one of the smallest competitors, uh, certainly on this card. He was a guy that was uh, that was kind of an enhancement talent in a lot of ways, but he also won matches. So on television, he had this fabulous drop kick, and uh, he was uh, from a, a Greek descent. He had great flying head scissors. And so, I mean, him against Jimmy was an exciting match, short, in about five minutes or so. And it was the first, uh, first real a uh, match that I'd seen outside of the midgets. I mean, it was the second match of the show, but it was exciting. And I knew like, all right, here we go. We got, we got some great matches to go. And and let's go back to Mike Pappas for a second. That yeah. was a big thing that at the time, a jobber that could actually win on TV. So you're watching this guy that could yes. have beat Jimmy because he, you've seen him win before. Yeah. And because it's uh, all new to me anyway, I'm like, I didn't have that pre because I, I still believed it was real back then. So, you know, anyone could beat anyone. So I was kind of like kayfabe. I didn't even know that word was until much later on and you know i think i learned what kayfabe was kind of in uh, 74 75 but i thought wrestling was real uh, at the time and, and as did my friend frank you know his father would say as my father would have ah, what are you watching that fake crap for you know but to a kid, 14 years old, suspension of disbelief was there. And you thought that uh, what you were seeing in the ring was actual competition. And I was no exception to that. They they played it off very well on television, letting Mike win a few times. So you get the idea, like, he can win. He's He may yeah. do this. Let's go on to match three. Manuel Soto fought with Mike Monroe. 
to a 20-minute draw. Yes. This match I remember, I mean, because Manuel Soto was another guy that was on TV pretty often, and I'd started watching and got familiar with him in the weeks leading up to the show. So he was also a fan favorite, especially for the Latins and the Puerto Ricans uh, that were at that show. And he had a number of garden appearances, as you late, as I later learned. I mean, I, did, I think he did the garden over 40 times. 47, I think, was the number. And that tied Shawn Michaels with the most. Uh, well, not the most, but uh, he had 47 garden appearances that tied with Shawn Michaels, who also uh, appeared at the garden 47 times. Looking at the match, 20 minutes long. Seems like yes. a long time, you know, compared to the other matches during this card. So 20 minutes, yeah. it has to be an exciting match. Oh, yeah. I mean, back and forth, who was going to win, who wasn't. And Mike, uh, the Moose Monroe, was a, a guy that uh, was around for a while, and he, uh, he he certainly made his name in a lot of territories. He was also a guy that would win most of the time on TV, unless he was against a big name, uh, if he was against another enhancement guy or preliminary wrestler, as they were known back in the day, and then he would go over. Uh, but, you know, when he was against a B-level or an A-level act or wrestler, he would not win. I always love the hearing about the storytelling back in the day, how they did that, how they stretched things out. And that's a great way of doing it. Let these guys win on TV. And if they're going against someone bigger, let them lose. But there's always a chance. So you're always giving these guys a chance just to squash them every week. So I found it very interesting the way that you do things back then. Uh, let's go to match four. Carl Gotch defeated the Black Demon in 10 minutes, 59 seconds. Both of those guys, I saw Black Demon on uh, TV wrestling. And the one thing that, uh, that uh, I noticed right away is he was a mass wrestler, but it was... Uh, the face was cut out because and then I later found I was like, why is the face cut out of the mask? You could see his face. It was another New York State Athletic Commission law rule that you are not allowed to be uh, under a hood in New York State. You weren't allowed to be a, a, a mass wrestler. And it was the rules were really enforced at the Garden, even more than some of the other smaller little venues that they were running at the time. But the Black Demon, and one thing that I noticed about him was uh, I remember him from the mid-60s uh, going by the name of Tony Nero. Prince Nero, because I recognized him. I was like, that's Tony Nero, because I remember him from the 60s. But on the other side, when you're looking at Carl Gotch, here's a guy that was on the Olympics back in the 40s, and he was one of the most uh, prolific shooters in, in wrestling. He was a legitimate a uh, legitimate wrestler and he had a lot of charisma and he had moves for me. I mean, seeing it live for the first time, it was like a clinic of uh, amateur wrestling while he was in there against the black demon. And it was a really interesting match. And uh, it really started getting you more pumped up for what was to come. And, and Carl Gotch, you could just tell he was a legitimate star, legitimate star. And wasn't the German suplex named after him, I think? Quite possible, you know, quite possible. Uh, I believe it was actually uh, named after Carl Gotch. Carl Gotch, you know, that you were talking about a realistic, you know, seeing something like a German suplex back then is like, oh my gosh, I've never seen something like this before. So it even may, yeah. may, means more knowing that he's a former Olympian and he's doing these these moves that no one else is doing. So it is definitely pretty cool. Uh, match number five of the night, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham defeated Gorilla Monsoon and Chief J Strongbow by Countout. Yeah, I was so excited for this because Monsoon was a favorite of mine, obviously going back to the 60s when he was a heel and had the big beard and uh, and Strongbow. I mean, he was just a legitimate star. People loved him. Tarzan Tyler 
as well, because I remembered Tarz and Tyler from the wrestling magazines, uh, because I was an avid reader of the wrestling magazines. Uh, you know, I got my first wrestling magazine in 69, January 67. So I'd read about all these other territories and Tarz and Tyler was a legitimate star and champion. And crazy Lou Graham, he was a mainstay uh, in uh, WWF in the mid 60s. And you know, was in main events against Bruno San Martino several times. So seeing these four in the ring was really special. It was like, oh my God, here we are. They're stars. I, you know, these are guys that I that I just revered and loved and read about in the magazines. And I, I was just so excited for this um, for this match. And and it was a championship match because uh, uh, Graham and uh, Tyler were the uh, were the tag team champions at the time. What do you remember from this match? Because this seems like a really cool match. Yeah, I mean, it was a championship match. Obviously, uh, Tyler and Graham were the champions, and we were all hoping that uh, Strongbow Monsoon would win. The the belt but they didn't uh it, it was a count out and uh you know strongbow and and monsoon uh lost on a count out to uh this tag team these champions and you know you kind of felt upset you know as a wrestling fan it's like you wanted to see the good guys win absolutely and this is going to be the next match but it is not the last match and i always find that strange that a main event match is not the last match but was that something you used to do at the garden the main event match would not always be the last match it was always in the middle of the show for whatever reason and i couldn't figure out what that reason was whether the main eventers had to go on to another town so they get an early start or also perhaps that, you know, you have uh, people who have to catch their trains, you know, because sometimes, you know, the Long Island Railroad, even though it ran 24-7, it, it gets late, you know, especially when the show starts at 8.30 p.m. Uh, so I never quite understood that. And then, of course, um, towards the end of the night, that's when they announced the next show. So they won't get people, uh, you know, a jump on buying their tickets for the next event. So they would probably do it after this main event. Afterwards, they say, hey, here's what's coming next month. Yeah. All right. Very, very true. Uh, match number six of this uh, card, uh, again, August 30th, 1971. Stan Stasiak fought WWWF World Heavyweight Champion Pedro Morales to a draw for 19 minutes and 51 seconds when referee Danny Bartfield stopped due to blood. Yeah, crazy. I mean, this was the main event. And as soon as and there was no music back then at all. So you would just hear the roar of the crowd when Stasiak came out of the curtain. I was kind of surprised because it was in the middle of the show. It wasn't the main event. I think the main event, you know, in my mind would go on last. But Stasiak comes out and the booze, just the crescendo of booze, uh, because he was I mean, he was built up on TV to be the guy that could beat Morales and he had the heart punch and he was tough and he was a brawler and a legitimate tough guy and he comes out and the fans were going nuts booing him that's the one thing about the garden where you know you could start off with a midgets match and then you go into some of the other matches but when that main event hits the fans would be worked up to a frenzy by that time because they know that they're going to see their hero Pedro Morales now defend the title and Stasia came out and and back then people were throwing stuff I mean there was always you know projectiles being thrown at the guys I mean uh, and, and and it really took on a very serious tone uh, when that main event happened and when Stasiak came into the ring. And then, of course, Morales, the roar, the crowd, the cheers, the people jumping up and down, the people surging the ring to try to touch Pedro and get near Pedro Morales. It was something unlike I had never seen. And, and, and that alone, that feeling, that excitement is what just kind of like hooked me. And I'm like, this is the shit. This is what you're here to see. And I was a Bruno guy. 
You know, I, I, I was always a Bruno guy and I, I never felt when Morales was champion, uh, I appreciate him much more today than I did back then. It was exciting to see. You see the belt. When you see the guy wear the belt, that was also another big thing for me. He's There's the title. There's the belt. There's the championship. Uh, but Morales coming to the ring and waving to the fans, and it, it was just electric. It was electric. It really was. With the blood coming out, was that a big thing at the Garden? Because you don't see oh, blood anymore. That's what worked the crowd up into a frenzy even more, especially Morales. Now, here's, you know, the, the scuttlebutt is, and it's, it really is true, that uh, uh, Morales never... In these days, especially as champion, never lost at Madison Square Garden because, quite frankly, the promoter, Vince McMahon, security felt that there would be a riot and that the fans would, uh, who knows what they would do if, if their hero, Pedro Morales, lost. And I believe it was some shots to the head and he probably hit him on a on the ring post or one of the turnbuckles. And then the blood, you know, Morales juice, they call it blading today and all that. But back then I thought it was totally real and Morales is bleeding and he he was bleeding pretty extensively in that match it was and Stasiak was bleeding I mean they were both were bleeding it was crazy I mean it was like they were brawling and and then when the match was stopped and called the draw when both men were bleeding it was just like I felt there was going to be a riot it was that crazy back in the day it was just a different atmosphere going to a wrestling match compared to watching it like a lot of people watch it today they don't get to yeah. go to the events and they're more cheering than anything else back in the day they were living it they were living every punch with these guys oh my goodness yes and and the one thing at this point of the night it was like i didn't bring a camera you know i'm seeing this great stuff and i'm like all i wanted to do was like be part of it uh, it just drew me in it just it put something inside of me that i was like uh, i am totally totally into this and I'm totally in love with what I'm saying. It just brought a whole new element to my life. Speaking of Stan Stasiak and the heart punch, I, I know we're doing this right now, but in the future I'd love to talk about uh, moves that wrestlers had back then that are no longer around today and Stasiak's heart punch was a big deal at the time. Oh, it was. I mean, uh, not only was it a big deal at the time, but it was also looked upon as a move that could potentially kill somebody. I do remember uh, during this run, or it could have been in 72, that Bill Apter, uh, who, you know, famous of the Apter mags, and, uh, you know, uh, there was a feature, you know, the night that Stan Stasiak gave Bill Apter the heart punch you know, backstage at the garden. And there was a whole article about that. And me just learning about, you know, who these uh, reporters were. And I was like, oh my God, he, he hit Bill Apter, you know, it was in the magazines. That's so cool. The main event match, Stan Stasiak versus uh, Pedro Morales went to a draw at 1951, but that wasn't the last match. Last match of the night was something I'd love to see even today. Terry and Dory Funk Sr. took on the fabulous kangaroos, Al Costello and Don Kent to a 45-minute curfew draw. What is a curfew draw, John? Uh, curfew at Madison Square Garden was that the show had to end at 11 p.m. or by 11 p.m. That was the cutoff. No matches, uh, New York State law, continued past 11 p.m. curfew. That's why that match um, went to a 45-minute curfew draw. But for me, uh, that match was probably the highlight for me because reading the wrestling magazines as a kid, learning about Dory Funk Sr., and then, of course, Dory Funk Jr., who became NWA champion. But Dory Funk Sr. and this, the young kid, Terry Funk, seeing them in the ring against the Kangaroos with Al Costello and Don Kent. I mean, these were legendary performers that you read about in all the magazines. And they, they're they not on TV. 
but uh, the the deal is, as you you know, you later find out is that because uh, the WWWF was also uh, technically a member of the NWA, uh, they would get uh, an opportunity to bring uh, people from outside the territory in. And this particular match, I mean, these were like it was like an all star match featuring people that you don't see on TV, but you knew if you read the wrestling magazines that you know you were looking at true stars of the wrestling business competing against each other. And uh, seeing the kangaroos for me was just like unbelievable. And then, of course, Story Funk Sr. and Terry, these rough Texans who were brawlers. And there was no baby face or good guy, bad guy in this uh, contest because they were both considered uh, bad guys. Interesting. And this is uh, T- Dory and Terry Funk's first appearance at Madison Square Garden. Dory Funk Sr. actually passed away on June 3rd, 1973. And going back to the curfew, so this went for 45 minutes. So I'm, I'm just thinking on my head, John, probably before this match, they announced the next card. And this is the time where a lot of people went and tried to buy their tickets. Yeah, I mean, they immediately announced that there was going to be a rematch on the next show, which was scheduled uh, October 25th, 1971. And yeah, I was like, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going to go. Uh, but it was it was really just uh, an amazing, amazing experience for me. Let's recap the night if we can. Again, uh, it is August 30th, 1971. The start for you, the start of a seven year, seven years going to see every show at the Garden every month. So let's recap. John, looking back, what do you remember about this show? How would you rate it? Hey, it was my first show ever. It couldn't there couldn't be anything better than it. You know, it was the best thing I had seen. Other than, you know, going to baseball games when I was a kid in the New York Mets, this was and seeing the Beatles at Chase Stadium. Let me preface that. That was another another life changing moment for me. But this was literally a life changing night for me. This was when I said that this wrestling, this Worldwide Wrestling Federation match at Madison Square Garden was one of the most exciting nights of my life. And I was absolutely going to go to the next show and prefacing and just in a little preview of the next show. I was I immediately took control. My friend Frank Favalli, I mean, we went to the garden together, I think, for three years consecutively, every show by ourselves. But the October 25th show. I immediately went to my older sister, my older sister's friends. I think when that October 25th show happened, we had about eight to 10 people with us. I, I convinced like eight to 10 different people to come uh, on uh, at that show on October 25th. You were like the pipe piper of wrestling then. I was at that point. My friend Frank is like, you want to go again? Yeah, let's go. And then all of a sudden, I, my older sister, her friend, her friend's sister, And other people were like, I don't even remember the whole group that was with us that night, but uh, uh, it was something I said, I got to share this. I got to share this experience with my family. I got to share this experience with my friends because this is something that I, I can't believe I was here finally. And I was all in and my life changed on August 30th, 1971. Absolutely. And the next time you'd be able to go see a match at Madison Square Garden was October 25th, 1971. Very rare that the WWWF skipped the month. That's very true. I mean, uh, they would normally be four weeks, one month. And sometimes they did a show uh, after three weeks. So uh, there was no rhyme or reason for it. 
And uh, the fact that there was not a show in September, probably, and it was almost like a two-month gap between the shows, which was really uh, interesting and rare at the time. Well, our next show for MSG 50, A Look Back, we'll be having Pedro Morales defending his title against Stan Stasiak in a Texas-style match. Uh, I guess um, they say Texas-style, John, not Texas death match. Was that a thing, again, with the New York guys? It could have been a New York State Athletic Commission, the way you positioned uh, what it was uh, in, a, in a Texas style match. Uh, instead of saying Texas death was the, the way they uh, advertised it. All right. So we're looking forward to that. Again, this was August 30th, 1971. John Rizzi's first show at Madison Square Garden. Well, Tim, I mean, this has been a pleasure when you and uh, Richie Garcia who uh, did the research for the show. I mean, I've known you guys. Let's preface it like this. I've known both of you for almost 30 years. Richie was a uh, listener of Pro Wrestling Spotlight. You and I worked together at uh, WGBB on Long Island, and you were an engineer for Pro Wrestling Spotlight for a while. Yep. Do you remember, you know, what year that was? Because I haven't gotten it, you know, when I, when I do the, you know, the Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast, I haven't gotten to the point yet on the show, but I think it could have been somewhere in 91, maybe mid to late 91. It was 91. It was definitely 91. Um, I worked at Z100, a radio station in New York, until the end. I graduated college. I worked for them for the summer, and then I joined WBAB, which is the Rock station on Long Island in 1991 and we probably met around um, somewhere in 91 I'm thinking like maybe like maybe June or something because when you had the convention for the first time we were talking and we were I was actually running your board at times and you said hey would you like to help out with this because I had experience at the time running uh, baseball card shows my dad worked at Kennedy Airport there's a gentleman that that, that ran Yankee shows so he used okay. to be able to Yankee card show. So you get a mission, you get a free Yankee ticket, and you go get an autograph. He used to have me sit with these players, you know, Lefty Gomez, different players like that. So when you asked me, I go, I'd love to. I love wrestling. So this is a win-win. So that was our first time we got to work together. That was in 91 at my convention. That was the big one with Flair, Rogers, and the rest of them. How did you meet Richie? At the convention. At that convention. At that convention. And he still reminds me, like the first time I sat him with somebody, uh, I sat him with Rick Rude. And I guess he wasn't happy with Rick Rude because Rick Rude didn't want to really talk to anybody. And yeah. the next day, I think he sat with Ivan Koloff. We'll have to ask Richie on that. But like, then he- Well, Koloff, Koloff was in 92. Yes. See, yeah, I thought so. I thought that they... Cole he wasn't was at the there. 91 convention, but you guys met in 91 because Richie was basically, he was a listener, wasn't he? A listener to the show? Yeah, I guess so. And he had met you. He told me he met you at the um, at a bowling alley. At a bowling alley. Yeah, I did a promotion. Yes. Yeah, I did a few. I did several bowling alley <laughs> promotions and uh, Staten Island was one place that we did it, Brooklyn, and then out on Long Island. And uh, And look at this. I mean, here we are, you know, 30 years later, 30 years later. And you guys approached me with this idea and this concept. And I'm like, you know what? That's really an interesting show to do because it was a, uh, a life-changing thing for me. And those garden shows were the catalyst to my involvement in pro wrestling. That first show on August 30th was a catalyst for me when you guys approached me because I had gone to so many consecutive shows I mean, and that was featured, you know, the Blassie Morales. And then you had Bruno coming back in to win the title and all the things that happened at Madison Square Garden, that historic mecca of wrestling from the years I attended back, you know, August 30th, 71, right through the time I, you know, was in college, early 77, mid 77. I went to every single show. So you you guys were like, this would be a good show to do just to kind of reminisce about what happened 50 years 
ago. I'm sure at the time when you were at the first show, you were looking around. You said, I can't wait to talk to Timmy and Richie about this podcast in about 50 years from now. Yeah. I mean, here we are. And we're starting out a journey that literally, um, you know, we're going to drop these shows, as they say, and broadcasting. This will be uh, for our patrons. Uh, my patrons at uh, patreon.com slash John Arezzi. People react to it and we get a good response. Why not turn it into a regular podcast that's distributed in other platforms? But right now it's a special bonus for the, the patrons of, uh, of my page. And, and this is just a great honor and a pleasure for me to even reminisce about this. And I want to thank you uh, as producing it, co-hosting it, and Richie for doing the research and writing about it. And also, I want to thank a guy by the name of Scott Teal. Uh, Scott is a publisher at Crowbar Press, and he put out a book, which is basically the Bible, and it's called Wrestling in the Garden, The Battle for New York. I mean, it, it's a historical look back at every single show at Madison Square Garden. So uh, I want to thank Scott Teal, because I use that as a reference all the time, and we're going to be using tidbits from that book throughout the series of this show. Absolutely. Our next show will be October. October 25th, 1971. Well, it will be October 25th, 2021. This is true. Our next show will be October. It'll cover October 25th, 1971, which was 50 years ago. Man. 50 years ago. Unbelievable. John, thank you for your time. For John Rizzi, I'm Tim Petrie. We'll see you next time. <laughs>